for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a really interesting episode um, for a lot of you who are not aware of the fact that there is um, essentially free money available to help you with your farm. We are joined today by Joshua Hammond, who is a public affairs specialist with the USDA's Natural Resource Conservation Service. Welcome to the show today, Joshua. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you because it is always surprising to me when I talk to people who are not aware of the fact that they can get government grants to help them with their farm. And you are just like one little segment because you're with the Natural Resource Conservation Service, but there's also like rural business development grants and um, several other government agencies that also have grants. So when we get done talking today, we're going to, I'm going to ask you for some links where people can get more information. Um, But also if they don't find what they need with the NRCS, maybe they'll find it with another government um, organization that has grants. So tell us specifically, what does NRCS do? Well, specifically what we do is we offer voluntary programs to eligible landowners and producers And then we, in turn, provide technical and financial assistance to help manage the natural resources in a sustainable manner on their properties. Um, The technical assistance is free, uh, and the financial assistance is money provided by the 2018 Farm Bill currently. I know we're still working on the 2023 Farm Bill, and in the meantime, that's what we're working with. Okay. And when you say you provide technical assistance, what exactly does that mean? Uh, the technical assistance is in the form of a conservation plan uh, that could be, you know, rotational grazing plan, fencing plan, irrigation, technical things that a farmer or a landowner would could use to help better conserve natural resources. Okay. And in that case, they would just like go to their local NRCS office and ask for that assistance? Yes. And the best part about it is usually our USDA Agencies are co-located, so if you don't have an answer from us, uh, there's also the Farm Service Agency, and there's also the Rural Development Centers. And I wouldn't also count your state soil and water conservation districts as well. At the USDA Service Centers, it's essentially a one-stop shop for a lot of programs that people could be eligible for. Like, say, my agency with NRCS, there's also the Farm Service Agency, and then the Rural Development Centers. And we're all broken down by county. Like, for example, I'm in North Carolina, and we have 100 counties. Each county has their own USDA service center. And that would be the same for Illinois, New York, West Virginia, and just right on down the line. Okay. And then one of the first things that you told me about earlier was how you can help farmers with rotational grazing. Yes, we can develop a grazing plan. In fact, we hire grazing specialists. So we have scientists specifically tailored to grazing to help inform farmers who could be new or even your older farmers who, you know, like my granddaddy did it, my daddy did it, so I'm going to do it. And we could offer a fresh perspective on how to utilize the land. And then with the grazing plan can come other conservation practices like, like fencing or access control, which that's more about water quality, but still that that's out there. 
Okay. And so then somebody can drop the plan and then you have grants available to help pay for the fencing to create the paddocks for the rotational grazing? Well, we would, our agency does cost share. I mean, it wouldn't be a full, like, free ride, but we can help offset those costs. And we can also, again, it goes back to that plan. We can provide that plan for free. So if it takes a little bit to get invested into it, you at least know what you're looking at. Okay. But yes, there is a, you do get a, a personalized plan for your, your property and what you're trying to do, accomplish. Or if you're looking to add on to things, like say you want to do rotational grazing because you just, you found out how great it was, the benefits to soil health and crops, but you don't know where to start. And that's where we can kind of come in and help with that planning process as well. Okay. And the best part about it is it's an individualized plan for a particular farmer. Like it's not a one size fits all thing. Like the idea is the the rep would go to have a one on one meeting with you and discuss what you're trying to accomplish and then actually see on the property what's available and then develop the plan to that property. All right. And then is there any specific size, like nothing smaller than a certain size or bigger than a certain size in terms of the farm or head of animals or anything? You know, and that's the best part. Um, I know that might be a myth out there, but the size and location of production is relevant for program eligibility. When I talked about um, Equip being our main program, uh, size and location of production doesn't matter. Like, that's why I'm saying like we want to help everybody from the large farms to our smaller farms. So is it just for income producing farms? Uh, actually, no, there is no minimum agricultural income or product value requirement for determining eligibility. Like you can be a, a straight subsistence farmer. Like you just farm and you eat what you farm. Okay. That is really great. Cause I know I do have people on both ends of that spectrum who are listening to the podcast, people who are just producing for their own consumption all the way to the other end for people who have a big business with their goats. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us, I, you said equip, which I know that's EQIP, um, but can you explain that? Yeah, it stands for environmental quality incentive program. Um, so when I say equip, I just, I naturally just default to our acronym. But what that is, that program is essentially our bread and butter. Um, that's how we're able to tailor specific practices towards that producer. And it could be up to the imagination of the producer and the person working with them. For example, here in North Carolina, we were able to use Equip for our oyster farms um, because it was based on water filtration because oysters are natural water filters. I mean, one oyster can filter up, I think, up to 50 gallons a day of water. So by using that example, I'm saying that's how we're able to really use Equip to the maximum benefit to a farmer. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I've never thought that there was a thing such as oyster farming, but it totally makes sense. Um, and it's really interesting to hear about them filtering the water too. So you had said that in your state of North Carolina, that you had $74 million dollars um, that could be used by farmers in your state. So what are uh, some of the different cost shares or grants or, or everything other than, like we mentioned some of the rotational grazing, what are some of the other projects that that will fund? Well, NRCS has over 170 conservation practices. Um, 
some of the more common practices on a small scale slash urban setting uh, have been high tunnel systems, cover crops, composting facilities, and irrigation water management systems. But those are just, again, four of the 170 plus conservation practices. So essentially the sky is the limit as far as what somebody wants to accomplish. Because again, we, we cover everything here in our state from confined animal operations to some of the things I just mentioned, uh, the oyster filtration stuff. Um, so you said 170 different conservation practices are covered in the different grants and everything? Yep, and that's, that's going to vary by state a little differently. But overall, yes, there's a, over 170 practices that can be used. And again, that's why it's so important to work with an individual farmer because that farmer is going to have individual needs and individual natural resource concerns. Okay, so um, where would people find out about what is available in their state? Well, I mean, I would venture to say everything's on the table. It's Again, it's going to be tailored to that individual property. Um, yeah, there's some commonalities like cover crops, for example, or high tunnel systems. But I mean, some, some of the conservation practices are going to vary by state. I would recommend first linking up with the state specific agency. Like I'm in North Carolina, so I would look up my county's USDA service center um, and kind of go in there with a plan, like, like have an idea of what you want to accomplish. Um, and I would say to the person like, you know, Hey, don't be self-selecting. Like, just go in there with your plan, and then we will work with you to accomplish that plan. Is there a place online where people can learn more about this? Yes. Each individual state has their own um, website. Uh, like, for example, North Carolina has their own equip-specific place. Uh, the NR NRCS as a whole agency has their own. And then within each site, there's a service center locator. So if I want to know who to get a, get a hold of in my county, there's that service center locator tool available to me. So if somebody is searching online, would they look for um, the, like the name of their county, USDA, or the name of their county, and then NRCS, or what exactly, how would they find it online? I would go NRCS and then their particular state, and that'll direct them to their state-specific website. And then there'll be a whole host of tools and information available to them. Like I go in, I'll type in NRCS North Carolina. That'll pull up our webpage. It'll have our specific program information and then our state office information, some good tools to use, um, infographics, et cetera. Like there's the web soil survey tool uh, for our states out west that would be impacted by snow. There's a snow impact tool and how that affects soil health and the surrounding environment. I'm saying it really is dependent on the state, but if I'm a user, that's what I would do. Type in NRCS and then their, their state, and that'll pull up what they would need to know. Okay. So I think one thing that might worry people a little bit is that when you hear about grants and cost-sharing programs and stuff like this, you think like, oh my goodness, there's a big, long application process and it's very competitive. So I'm going to spend 10, 20 hours filling this out, and then I'm probably not going to get it anyway. Um, from what I've heard from people who've applied, it, that's not really the way that it uh, works out. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how much work is involved in applying for these things? And then um, how competitive is it? Well, as far as the application process, it's really simple on the producer's end. Um, 
for example, our application sheet is two pages, and it's very basic contact information, the name of your operation, what you're trying to do, and then kind of the breakdown of the ownership. So it's really, it's not intensive and it's not intrusive. Um, I know that might be a concern about one oh how much information are you asking? Why are you asking this information? And we want to dispel that. We just want the very basic stuff, you know, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And I know we talk about competitiveness. Um, you know, there might be a fear of, you know, me as a homesteader being out competed by the bigger guys. And to be fair, I mean, maybe in the past that might have been true, but I'd say with the present administration's investment with conservation efforts through IRA, I would like to think that a lot of that competition is going to be mitigated. Um, I think that states and the federal government are really invested and serious about conservation efforts, especially on farms. And I really think there's enough room for everybody. So people who are a little concerned about the competitiveness, um, I wouldn't worry about too much about that. Um, it goes back to the old saying, don't self-select, you know? So in that, like there might've been schools you wanted to go to or certain selection processes and you, you wouldn't because you don't think you're good enough or you're not, you're not ready. If I say that, you know, don't self-select. Um, and I, I would use that same mental process in this situation to go in there and just have your plan, what you want to accomplish and then we'll work with you. And if, if it doesn't work out for you, just yet, um, we we don't say no. What happens is your application, if it m might not rank high enough to get funded, will get put in a queue. So, as an example, if you don't make it this year, you you stay in the queue until you pull out, and then we see about next fiscal year. But again, with the amount of funding that's coming to the states, I honestly don't think that should be a concern right now. Wow, that's really good news. Um, is there anything else that people should know before they um, go to the website or pick up the phone and call their local NRCS office? Kind of going in and having a plan. Like, hey, I'm Josh Hammond. I want to do this with my property. And it's funny. I, I'm glad I get to talk to homesteaders because like, me and my wife are essentially homesteaders ourselves with chickens and some fruit trees that we, we have. And coming from a farming background myself, I, I definitely appreciate and understand some of the mental challenges out there of, of working with federal agencies and kind of almost like information overload out there. But again, I think having a vision for your farm and kind of going in there with that vision with NRCS, FSA, and then others, I think, I think it goes a long way. Um, and I want to say also that don't discount the states that you're in. Um, the Department of Agriculture for each state, I think, is, again, serious about conservation efforts. Um, I know our state is, especially with easements. Um, North Carolina, it's kind of like a catch-22 in North Carolina. We're developing rapidly, having a lot, a lot of tech industries coming in, which is great. But at the same time, we're losing a lot of farmland. Like, we're second behind Texas in amount of acres loss. So with each acre loss, it becomes kind of a, a challenge in how to best utilize what we have and, and see people. Because I just recently saw that North Carolina, despite all the good things, there's still some economic challenges that we have to deal with as far as food security. Um, there are food deserts here. And with us losing the farmland that we are doing, our challenge comes now is, well, how do we feed everybody? How do we get access to fresh, healthy food sources? Um, 
And I think that's where homesteaders or our small scale slash urban farmers are going to really help fill that void is in getting access to that food. So again, I think from a personal standpoint, I want to say thank you to all your listeners. And I know farming is not easy. Substance farm is not easy. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And here. Well, thank you. Yeah. And one final thing, um, so they might see some application deadlines. Don't worry if they miss that deadline. I'd still say apply anyway. We accept applications year-round. Just for our own administrative timelines, um, we set cutoff dates. But don't let those cutoff dates discourage you. Still go in there with your plan. We will still work with you. It's one of those situations where if you miss a cutoff date, we're not going to be like, well, hey, sorry, come next year. No, we'll still take you in, still work with you, still develop your conservation plan. And go from there. So again, we're getting towards the end of first quarter. So I know a lot of our states have their cutoff dates set about right now. I would say don't let that discourage you. Just still go in there with your plan and we'll work with you. Okay, that is really great to know. Did you say you're getting close to the end of first quarter? Yes, we we operate by fiscal years starting in October. Ah. Okay. So November, December timeframe. So we're in the middle of first quarter, getting towards the end of first quarter. And I know what I'm saying is a lot of our application cutoff dates are around this time. I'm only bringing that up to be transparent with our listeners and then also to let them know, don't let let discourage you. You For example, our equip date is November 3rd here in North Carolina, but we accept applications year round. And that's kind of what I'm getting after is like, hey, go in there with your plan. And We'll be more than happy to work with you. Okay, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really fascinating conversation. And I bet a lot of people are going to be online checking out your website or the website for their state, as well as going into their local offices now to see what's available for them. Yep, thanks for having me. I'm glad I could share this information and get to talk to you. Appreciate it. And feel free to have me on again. I, I love talking about this stuff. Okay, great. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit ForTheLoveOfGoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LoveGoatsPodcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.